0: When you build out infrastructure across the employee benefit space, which is ultimately what we're building, what that can unlock, right? And how you can solve the communication problem for the HR manager that can lead to all sorts of innovation when you eliminate the barrier that's associated with, you know, buying, changing, reevaluating your benefit package
1: let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I'm your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Jacob Sheridan, who is the CEO and co-founder of TPA Stream. Jacob co-founded the company back in 2014 here in Cleveland and has since led the company and raised a couple million in capital in their effort to simplify healthcare administrative challenges. TPA Stream is focused on automating employee benefits and solves communication challenges across all benefit types, making it simpler, safer and more cost-effective for everyone that helps make employee benefits happen. Jacob brings over a decade of experience to TPA Stream, leveraging his deep experience in technology to lead the business to where it is today. And prior to his role at TPA Stream, Jacob founded Lake Erie Partners, a consortium dedicated to providing resources to young professionals and companies in the Lake Erie region, which we talked a lot about in this conversation. The beauty of these conversations is that I always learn a lot from our guests, and today is no exception. I learned a great deal from Jacob here, and I hope you all enjoy the conversation as well. So I've been kind of selfishly looking forward to this conversation because I am now always excited to learn from others building in the healthcare and healthcare adjacent space and have, you know, intentionally decided to take on a gargantuan challenge <clears throat> of driving change in an industry where it is really hard to drive change and, and affect the status quo in, in kind of a meaningful way. And so I'm looking forward to hearing about, you know, your journey and and how you've a- approached the the space so far.
0: It's been a fun ride. I would have never expected to Dive headfirst into yeah healthcare, kind of the employee benefit space. As we like to really talk about our focus in that area, and it's been fun watching you guys over the years as well as a you know an, an, another company kind of in a very similar space tackling huge problems.
1: Yeah, well let, let's just kind of dive right into it. Well, we'll talk about the market and sure tech and and kind of the the nature of of what it is you're focused on at TPA stream. But I would love to just start with your own you know, personal path to entrepreneurship and, you know, where it is the inspiration for this, this company that, that you've been working on has actually come from.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I think back to, I actually think of when I was in middle school, I was always entrepreneurial from early on. I came from a very entrepreneurial family, uh, people that know our, uh, that know myself and my three younger brothers have always joked that um, our dinner table conversations were always about business Um, (laughs) and starting businesses and innovating and being creative. And it really stems from, you know, my mother, who's just an incredible business strategist who runs a marketing strategy firm, working with all sorts of, you know, companies, startups, established businesses, investment groups. And my father is an investor and entrepreneur who's in the commercial real real estate space now, and also in the e-commerce space. And yeah, back in middle school, I got into the e-commerce space uh, very in the early, early days when eBay was popular, and I remember uh, going to Office Max and Home Depot, yeah. trying to buy products that were free after rebate. And what I would do is I would buy these products, uh, submit the rebates, and bundle them together and sell them on eBay. And it was a really fun business until I ran out of money because the rebates took too long to come in. (laughs) And I said, all right, I should do something else. But that's really where I got my kind of entrepreneurial start at a very young age. Um, And over the years, uh, worked on various types of businesses. And I was just sharing with you uh, before we started how when I came to Cleveland, I was working for a real estate firm. And I just had all these awesome friends in town and I knew a lot of entrepreneurs and I wanted to bring people together. And so one of the first things I did was start a nonprofit organization called Lake Erie Partners. And it first was a group of 10 friends of mine that got together on my dime uh, for drinks and (laughs) some appetizers. And, you know, while it was a little costly, I, I thought that this was a great group of folks coming together and something really awesome will come from it. And so For a couple of years, I hosted these events and uh, brought together just really smart and innovative folks that uh, had an entrepreneurial itch. Over time, we developed kind of focus areas, and one of those focus areas was on tech startups. And so we had a a meeting at Parallax, I will never forget this one, where we had different uh, entrepreneurs present different concepts and ideas that they had, and One of those people uh, was Eric Sugalak, who is now one of our co-founders at TPA Stream, who presented a tool that he developed to solve a problem that he had. He was working at a software company at the time that changed their health plan. They went from a low-deductible health plan to a high-deductible health plan. And the employer was going to save a significant amount of money, but wanted to keep the level of benefit the same for all the employees. And so what they did was set up a pre-tax account that would cover the out-of-pocket variance, So if you had a copay of $20 with your low deductible health plan and $50 with your high deductible health plan, this pre-tax account would cover $30. It was a really creative way to help the employer save a lot of money by reducing their premium when they increase their deductible while while keeping the effective benefit the same for all the employees. Now, unfortunately, it turned into a very tedious process for the employees to manage, Um, They were required to, you know, get all of their uh, medical dental vision claims and send them over to a third party administrator for processing. Narek Sukolak, our our co-founder, just found himself spending a lot of time at work trying to manage this awesome benefit that his employer uh, created for him. And so he built a tool that logged into his insurance company's online portal on his behalf to collect his claims data so that he didn't have to do it manually and then figured out a way to standardize that uh, across his medical dental vision uh, insurance and then securely send it over to his employer's third-party administrator, and so that's kind of the the, the founding story and and ultimately uh, how the company started really from Eric's challenge, you know, trying to take advantage of this awesome benefit and then presenting at a Lake Erie Partners meeting, <laughs> and then you know I was watching a really cool screen of how this technology worked, and I said, hey, I you know I'm very familiar with healthcare, not so much on the insurance side, but I love what you're doing. I'd love to help. See if we can't turn this into something
1: wow, that's that's a pretty serendipitous story. so you know, kind of having been pitched the idea yourself and and <laughs> now now running with it, how was it that uh, you know working with Eric, taking this tool that he had built to solve his own problem, how, what was the you know taking it from idea to 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 thinking about it as a business in, in the early days?
0: So Eric also brought along his best friend, uh, Steve Fury, our CTO at TBA Stream, who I had worked with uh, at Onshift Software. And, you know, in the early days, we were really, really fortunate because we had some awesome software developers. (laughs) And so we were able to build product at a very, very early stage that was functional. And these conversations started toward the end of 2014. And at the beginning of 2015, we had a product and had a customer start using it in 2015. And so I think early on, we were really, really fortunate due to just the awesome talent that we had as part of the co-founding team. And that really helped us be able to deliver a product early. You know, I then was focused on the business side. So sales, marketing, strategy, you name it. And learning about this third-party administrator market that I had never heard of before, but seemed like there was a huge problem that we could help them solve. And so I um, really learned about, about that market, started selling into third-party administrators and calling on them across the country. And we were able to deploy the software to about 15 customers while we bootstrapped the company over three years until the uh, the beginning of uh, 2018.
1: Awesome. And to paint the rest of that picture to to where we are today, how has the the business evolved in terms of, you know, how, how you've thought about the business and and who you're selling to and how it's capitalized and and just kind of the whole yeah.
0: the whole deal. Yeah. So you know, when we talk about the business, we talk about you know TPA Stream as an insurance technology software company. So early on, you know, we we kind of thought ourselves as healthcare, but as we started diving in. Uh, We learned that um, we really needed to focus on the insurance side, on the employee benefit side, because um, we just saw so much opportunity kind of on that side of the space. You know, there's so much innovation on the clinical side of healthcare, And so we saw a huge uh, greenfield opportunity on kind of the non-clinical insurance side. So so that's where we, we focused early on. Yeah, we bootstrapped the company. We raised our first uh, equity round in 2018. Have um, raised two other rounds since then, uh, a total of just under four million dollars. We have an awesome team of about 18 team members right now, and some part-time staff as well. And we've really been focused on on building good product and solving problems that our customers have that are not necessarily solved by others in the market. So one of the things that we decided to do early on was we learned about the challenges that third party administrators had, very similar to the challenge that Eric had, and quickly learned about software systems that third party administrators used. Mm-hmm. And we decided to really focus on integrating with those software systems, learning about that ecosystem and playing into that ecosystem. And then from there, what we did was we learned about a lot of the um, deficiencies. Of the software platforms in our space and started adding tools that helped our customers that were using kind of the first product drive more efficiency and grow their business, drive additional revenue through the capabilities. It's definitely been a long, uh, a long road <laughs> from you know, 2014 to now. And we've ebbed and flowed and we've had you know some products that uh, are no longer in existence today but we really believe that you know we've we've made challenging decisions we've 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 made a lot of good decisions but plenty of terrible ones as well along the way however we've been really focused on our customers on solving their problems and building an awesome team you know i never would have expected that culture would be one of the differentiators for our company and just how the team works together how we support each other how we have these awesome key values like uh, doing whatever it takes to solve our customers' challenges, you know, even if we have to operate in other software systems that we don't, you know, provide and maintain to our customers. You know, one of the other things I'll add, when I was working at OnShift Software, I quickly learned the value of software integrations. At OnShift, we were selling labor management and staff scheduling software to nursing homes, And it was a fantastic product, but it required time and attendance integrations. So we had to get punch data for all the hourly employees that worked at nursing homes to figure out how many folks within a given pay period have already exceeded their allotment of hours that could or have already entered into overtime. And so what I learned at OnShift was that we would build new features, new capabilities, and that would drive some revenue. However, when we would add a new integration We would get more customers coming onto the platform through that integration than any other activity. And so quickly, I honed in and focused on integrations, became very close with Steve Fury, who was the integration manager at OnShift. Hmm. I'm now the CEO at TPA Stream. And when we set off to start building TPA Stream, one of the things we did on the back end was build out a middleware platform. Because we were consuming data from insurance company online portals, we knew that we'd probably have to send it. To other places in the future. And so building that integration capability early on has helped us tremendously over the years and enabled us to build products that leverage that capability, which is just a capability that a lot of other software systems and uh, players in our space aren't great at because it's really, really hard. And I think that's what uh, what gravitated uh, me to head towards that and to want to learn more about integration and do more with integrations because while they are really, really challenging, you know, data is the new oil, right? As I say, yes. Right. And, and it, it, it's just all about how can you, you know, connect software systems? Can you, you know, share data between various participants so that that data, you know, only needs to be entered into one place. So anyway, that's the on-shift story.
1: Yeah. What what, what I'll pull on from that is um, this idea of, of doing whatever it takes. And, and in the context of thinking about products that, you know, you've sunsetted and, you know, th- those are really hard decisions. And so what I want to get at here is how you kind of balance, you know, where the market is pulling you and the vision that you have for the company and, and where you maybe are trying to push instead of being pulled. And, and what actually is the push? Like, what is the vision and and just how you kind of balance?
0: Yeah. You know, at TBA Stream, we have some awesome products today that we provide to administrators. And we get really excited about what we can do and what our customers can do with infrastructure when it's fully built out. We like to talk about, you know, our North Star, what I like to call Version Awesome, <laughs> um, which is where we're going, right? And you know, it might take three years for us to get there, maybe a few years more than three years, maybe three to five years, right? And when we look at, you know, you know that point in the future, we envision a way where we can solve the Data communication challenge for HR managers. HR managers today have such an important role and typically are responsible for managing benefits for their company. You know, I like to talk about a typical 100 person company and the HR manager that might work for that company. And when they put together a benefit package, they'll put together, they'll typically set up a medical plan, mm-hmm. maybe make dental revision available as a voluntary option. They'll set up a pre-tax account if it's a low deductible and FSA, high deductible HSA, typically set up a 401k plan, maybe a low amount of life insurance, and then a bunch of other supplemental options like a student loan repayment benefit. I mean, that's your typical benefit package. And, you know, what's crazy today is just how much time HR managers spend trying to communicate with all the different brokers that they might work with, and then ultimately all the different benefit providers to make sure that the benefits are working as expected, that they all have up-to-date information on all the employees and any events or things that might have changed, right, that might affect the benefits. And so we get really excited to think about, well, when you build out infrastructure across the employee benefit space, which is ultimately what we're building, what that can unlock, right? Right and how you can solve the communication problem for the HR manager that can lead to all sorts of innovation when you eliminate the barrier that's associated with, you know, buying, changing, reevaluating your benefit package.
1: Yeah, do, do you think about, you know, what you can unlock and then are those things that you are, you know, working towards building yourself or is it more about the enablement of those things?
0: You know, we are very, very focused on enabling others right now. There is so much work <laughs> to just build out the infrastructure that, it, you know, we we have a number of innovators that are customers today and constantly working with new and innovative startups and other established companies. And there is just so much work to do on the infrastructure side. That we have plenty of work to do there. We're going to stay very, very focused on infrastructure and enable all sorts of innovators to build on top of our infrastructure to drive engagement and drive all sorts of value across the employee benefit space.
1: I'd like to understand like how this data communication challenge came to be. Like, how did we get here? I, I, the challenge to me is very clear. That sound, you know, I yeah. just as an employee, it's confusing enough. You know, managing it, I can't even comprehend the difficulty that comes with that. But, but how is it that it got to be this challenging?
0: Yeah. You know, what's interesting is the role that employers play, right? Because I think when you think about employers, right, you know, they're managing a defined benefit. And you saw this, you know, with pension plans in the past, with retiree health benefits, where, you know, pension plans have really turned into 401k plans, right? And they've really moved from kind of this defined benefit to defined contribution. And I think that by, you know, putting the employer in the role that they are right now, you know, makes the insurance and employee benefit space really, really challenging. And so I, I think that, as we we evolve here over the next, you know, five, 10, 20 years, we're going to start to see a shift where instead of it's going to be, you know, a defined benefit managed by your employer, we'll see something similar to what happened with the 401k space with a, you know, defined contribution where, you know, the employees potentially manage it. And so I I, I think we we've gotten to where we are just over the years because, of how companies are trying to retain staff. They're trying to manage turnover and they're looking for all sorts of creative ways to take care of their team. And, you know, all these different benefit options, there's fantastic tax advantages, right? So additional um, incentive Mm. for employers to set them up, but there's, there's a lot of them. And it's been fun for us, you know, in this space to learn about the challenges and learn about kind of how we got here. You know, I think the the employer being so involved has really created this ecosystem where the employer's kind of managing the insurance, they're providing it, they're seeing costs go through the roof. And so they're trying to save money. So they're buying higher and higher deductible plans, right? So then what do you do? Well, We're going to put some money into a 401k for you. We're going to put some money into a pre-tax account for you because the actual benefit that we provided just on the medical side is way less than it used to be. And so, you know, one of the things that we find interesting is just how about half of the country right now is on some form of government-sponsored insurance, whether it's Medicare or Medicaid, Mm -hmm. and how that trend could continue, right? And we could see the government rolling out some type of basic you know, health insurance plan for all Americans. And then, you know, we could see insurance companies really changing the role, right? Instead of providing the primary insurance, providing more supplemental benefits, ancillary benefits, uh, voluntary benefits, kind of around that primary medical plan. And so we've seen that a little bit with employers. Employers have driven that, that change a little bit. But as we continue to have, you know, Joe Biden as president, right, we could see More and more change in that direction for some type of government-sponsored, you know, basic level of insurance. So to answer your question, how we got here? (laughs) Not not exactly sure how it got so complicated. Um, And you have you know all these different components that the employer is providing, and it's I, I mean, in the most basic sense, it's just to really take care of your team, really try to manage turnover, try to improve retention as much as possible. You know, I wonder one day when it'll start to go back to the salary, right? <laughs> you, you know, the employers that say, all right, enough of all these benefits. We're just going to give you more money. And you figure out, you know, how to spend your money and buy whatever types of plans make the most sense for you.
1: Yeah, no, it, it is really interesting to, to think about. I, I wanted to kind of pose a, a fantastical question, giving you magical capabilities here and a one and to kind of like reimagine the, the space because it, it seems, you know, as a consequence of the regulatory framework we have, somehow we got here. And I'm curious from the perspective of, of TPA Stream, you know, is there a reliance on that regulatory complexity or is it still a more ideal world where the system just kind of operates more functionally?
0: I mean, what, what, I think one of the challenges that, you know, we face across the um, employee benefit space and specifically in the medical side is that you have the employers paying, right, for, you know, the majority of uh, employees across the country, whether it's a fully insured or self-funded insurance plan. And whenever, you know, you don't have to pay for something as an individual, right? A lot of folks, the majority of folks, not everyone, right, doesn't necessarily value, whatever it is that they're receiving as much. And so, you know, there's a lot of talk around the CDH or consumer-directed healthcare space, which is a fancy way of saying pre-tax accounts. You know, the, the thought around pre-tax accounts is that, you know, you put some money into these accounts for employees, you let them spend that money and really turn them into consumers, conscious consumers that, you know, are, Um, having to make decisions about how they want to spend, you know, the money in these different buckets that can be set up for them. And so I think that we need to empower individuals to make choices, to determine what they want, when they want, why they want certain, you know, and and really understand why, you know, it makes sense for them to uh, take advantage of of different benefit options. And I, I think if we can, you know move to a model where the individuals more involved they're making more choices they're more aware of the effects of their choice and how much things might actually cost i, I think we can really start to see change i think one of the you know one of the other challenges though is figuring out how much things cost right yeah yeah but <laughs> you would think you know like every other industry you know you 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 understand costs but um, i think you know the healthcare space and employee benefit space it's just so challenging when so many costs um, and procedures and visits are just like the cost is just unknown. I mean, I, I find it comical, you know, going into a doctor's office and saying, well, you know, and I, I had a situation the other day where one of our doctors said, where do you want to pick up this prescription? And I said, I don't know. What's where's the cheapest par- pharmacy? And they looked <laughs> at me and they said, what's the clo- what's the closest pharmacy to your house? <laughs> I think we really need to empower individuals to be more involved, to understand the costs of different and, and the implications of different decisions they make. And until that happens, until we shift it back from the employer back to the employee, to the individual, it's going to be really hard to see a lot of changes. Well, well
1: on a related note there, and this is something I wanted to get your perspective on, but it seems just anecdotally that there has been this resurgence or boom of, you know, what has been thrown under the insurance tech umbrella, like completely new insurance companies that are really kind of focused on the consumer experience. And with that, you know, the infrastructure that that we don't get to see as consumers using these applications. And what I wanted to, to ask you about is, you know, like why, why now, like what has happened that is allowing for this, the shift in in the insure tech market and also your perspective on working with you know some of maybe the newer companies versus some of the the older companies and and if you feel like that there's a you know a shift in the right direction there.
0: Yeah, you know, it it is wild just how many new startups are coming into the insure tech space. And I, you know, really believe in the opportunity to solve problems using technology um, in, in the insurance space. You know, there's been so much attention on the healthcare side, on the clinical side, um, and so much innovation there. And we, I really think about the non-clinical side of healthcare or insurance as the underbelly that people don't talk about, but that drives up costs, right? And, you know, when you really analyze the market, when you look at the administration space, that's where I believe there's the greatest opportunity to drive efficiency uh, through technology and actually drive down costs and significantly eliminate cost right you know we're so focused on the clinical side uh, on on cost which you know there's all sorts of different strategies right to 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 drive down cost on the you know acute side the clinical side but i truly believe that when you look at administration you can truly eliminate cost by implementing technology which then i believe you know, affects all of healthcare, right? And all of employee benefits, right? When you, you know, eliminate the, uh, the redundancies and the number of parties and participants that get involved with the data flow on the administrative side and can truly take data from a system of record to another system of record without people touching it in the middle. There's so much money that can be saved, which then can go back into the system.
1: How does TPA Stream actually
0: make money? I want to follow up there. Yeah, so so TBA Stream, we sell a suite of products today to benefit TBAs, uh, benefit third-party administrators that primarily offer and administer pre-tax accounts and COBRA for small to medium-sized businesses across the country. We sell our software for, we have a monthly minimum associated with the the different products, and then we charge uh, per employee or per employer month fees based on the different product or service.
1: When you... Are kind of pitching the product? Is it one of that story of savings and and driving the efficiency down? Like how? What is what is the value that that you're, you know, telling there?
0: Yeah. So you know, early on when we started TPA Stream, we were so focused on operational efficiency, right? And being able to you know save time for our clients and and delivering a, a positive ROI. By saving them so much time, by automating these really manual tasks and and data movements, what's funny is that it took us a few years to realize this, but we found out that our customers uh, not only were were realizing fantastic operational efficiencies and saving a ton of ton of time, uh, but they were also winning new business hmm. and they were using our capabilities to differentiate against their competitors and grow. Uh, We had one customer that told us they grew 40% year over year, and much of that growth could be contributed to TPA Stream. And so once we started really learning about how our customers were using our capabilities to differentiate against their competition and win new business, we really started focusing on that more. You know, as we've rolled out other products, we've also um, been able to, you know, not only drive additional operational efficiencies, but also help our customers like truly make more money, so not only winning new business using our capabilities as a differentiator to win new business, but then um, actually using our software to help them make more money. We uh, we rolled out an employer invoicing product, so our customers ha- uh, work with employers, and you know a typical customer for us might have a thousand or two thousand employer clients, and so the invoicing process. Um, to send all those invoices out to one or two thousand people can be, you know, take a long time. And so we developed a tool that not only automates that process, but it also helps to capture data from various administrative systems that correlate to very small fees that our customers can charge their employer clients that historically many of them would not charge due to it taking too long to gather data Mm. from all these different systems, do the calculations, put those uh, charges, you know, for a dollar or $5 onto an invoice. Right. But when you automate the process and you're pulling that data through an automated integration, we found that we're able to actually help our customers make more money and increase the revenue that they collect every single month. So that's been unbelievable and extremely rewarding uh, for our team.
1: Yeah, that is really exciting. When you are, are doing those sales, what is the kind of pushback that you get? Like, how, What? where is competition in this space? Is it just like other processes that people have figured out that are trying to, you know, operationally do better, or are there other companies that you're competing against?
0: Yeah. So, you know, there are some awesome competitors in our space that are looking to tackle the infrastructure problem, right? Yeah. And trying to build out middleware to connect disparate to systems. And so, you know, there, there, there's, there's a few of those competitors and um, we're seeing more and more of them and they're raising tons of money, which is just awesome. We love that. Um, we really try to stay close to our competitors because maybe there's an opportunity for us to work with them one day. But, you, you know, when we, when we enter into a sales process, one of our biggest challenges is competing against the status quo, right? And, you know, working yes. with an organization <laughs> that might have 50 employees, 75 employees and their family, right? And we can bring some technology in that could help them significantly reduce headcount, but that nece- you know that doesn't necessarily appeal to all business owners, and so um, that's been one of the challenges uh, for us.
1: Yeah, how how do you navigate that? Like, what is the the pitch? And this is again is a selfish question yeah. because you know the the work that we're doing over at Actual is one of again, at a high level, it's about saving time and it's about, you know, better deploying of, of workforce and analytics around that. And a consequence of it is, is those kinds of considerations. And you know, how, how are you, how are you telling that story?
0: Yeah. So, you know, you know, we really try to focus on the way that we can help an organization grow And take resources that might be working on one task or responsible for like the invoicing process, for example, and be able to use them in other sides of the business, really being able to free up their time, which enables them to focus on other areas that can help the the organization grow. And so, you know, really trying to to focus on how we can, you know, help to, you know, automate and really eliminate a a lot of manual work associated with you know, area A, well, then helping various team members uh, work on other areas of the business and and really helping, you know, these companies uh, grow without having to hire people as they grow, right? So one of the beauties of technology is that, you know, it can scale infinitely. And so if you are able to adopt technology and use it across your business, you know, we've seen a lot of organizations in our space, be able to grow and sometimes double, sometimes triple the number of clients that they have um, without having to increase team members when they, you know, are truly using technology and, and making sure that they're automating, you know, any process that's manual today. Yeah, it's very similar to
1: how we think about it as well. But automation as a tool to you know, do the robotic thing so that people don't have to do the robotic thing so that you're empowering them to focus on things that they should, you know, be spending other time on.
0: Right, yeah, things that are more important, right? Things, you know, talking with clients, right? You know, working, you know, more closely with their team, right? Finding, you know, different opportunities to take advantage of new revenue streams uh, that they couldn't, you know, focus on because they were too busy doing the things that computers can do for them.
1: yeah. As you reflect on, on the past few years and how the product has evolved and the company has evolved and, and grown, knowing what you know now, and I don't know, I don't know where this question is actually coming from, but I feel like it's going to be interesting. Yeah. But yeah. like, what, what would you be doing differently if you were starting TPA Stream today?
0: Yeah. So we, I think, made some really good decisions early on. However, there's definitely some decisions that would have changed. So early on, we bootstrapped the company. I thought that was a fantastic decision. It enabled us to learn about the industry that you know, was a new industry for all of us, um, enabled us to build out the product and get a nice customer base. I think early on, we started working with one customer. Um, we were so excited that this customer wanted to use the software that we were building for them, um, and they yeah. would actually pay us you know, dollars for this software that we had <laughs> developed. It was so cool. You know, I think that, and, you know, when we first got started, we didn't really, you know, know anything about the market. We didn't know how big it was, how small it was. And we didn't do much market research because, you know, we were just building a product for one business who said, this is the best thing since sliced bread um, Mm -hmm. and solving one of the biggest problems in our industry. And so we just stayed really focused on that. And, you know, that helped us obviously build a product that is now, you know, our most successful product, we call it claims harvesting, but I I would have loved to learn more about the market, talk to a couple, you know, at least a couple other organizations, right. To learn about Mm. the challenges that they were having and how they would like those challenges to be solved so that, you know, early on, we just would have had more feedback, more, you know, prospects or customers to engage with, and then ultimately build a product earlier on that could have uh, supported multiple businesses with different business practices and processes. And so I think that's one of the things I would have done early on. I think also... We were so happy early on to collect revenue. <laughs> um, Re- so revenue is
1: nice. Right.
0: Revenue is nice. And, you know, I was so focused on, you know, getting away from saying we're pre-revenue. Right. And I just, I hated that concept. We're a pre-revenue business. It's like baloney. Like, go sell something. Try. <laughs> See if someone will pay you 10 bucks. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. early on, that's exactly what we did. And I got a bunch of people to pay us. Now, looking back, they didn't pay us that much, <laughs> but it was so rewarding early on. So, you know, I think I would have talked to more customers. I would have done way more market research. I would have definitely looked at ways to charge a higher price point earlier on. But that's easy to say after kind of taking, you know, this idea from nothing into a company that's been doing rather well as of late. So, Yes, that's insightful reflection, though. What
1: have been some of the other just kind of higher level learnings that, that you're taking with you? as you've built this over the last few years?
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I tell other entrepreneurs that want to start the uh, start a business is, one, don't try to start a business, right? Try to find a problem, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's, it's not about, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to start a business. No, it's find a problem, make sure that problem's big enough, right? Then see if people will pay you to solve their problem. And then after you get to that point, then you start your business. So, you know, mm. thankfully... I had a really kind of cool uh, experience through Lake Erie Partners that led me to meet Eric Sukolak, who had the problem, and it kind of just all worked out really, really nicely. But um, I really, you know, encourage uh, entrepreneurs to uh, find a problem first, find a big problem, a hairy problem, a challenging problem, one that someone will pay a lot of money if you can help solve that for them. So that's one thing. And, you know, the second thing is that today more than – you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, it's so much easier to start a business now, right? And there's so many tools out there that can enable you to build a mobile app, a web app, record a podcast, right? Yep. <laughs> you, you know, that just make it easier than ever to to come up with your prototype, come up with your the first version of your product. And so I really encourage folks to not necessarily think they just have to raise money to start a company. There's so much that you can do with very, very little resources with all the different tools available today.
1: Yeah. I mean, it goes to your your point earlier about the kind of infinite scalability of technology. It's kind of the it's empowering percent. all of us.
0: <laughs> right. No, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a builder. I was talking to a friend about this the other day and, you know, it's it's just incredible the way that you can build something with with software once, and have literally thousands, if not millions, of people use that same software. I just think it's incredible. It is very cool to think about for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie it back to, to Cleveland here for for a moment. Yeah. You know, our our closing question for everyone actually is: over time, we're painting a collage of not necessarily people's favorite thing in Cleveland, but of hidden gems and things that other people may not necessarily know about. And so with that, I pose this question
0: to you. Yeah. So, you know, what's what's my favorite hidden gem in Cleveland? You know, it's something that doesn't cost any money, one. And two, it's uh, just tell a little backstory here. I lived in uh, yeah, Cleveland for 10 years in the same apartment. I cannot believe that I'm saying that, <laughs> um, but it was just a fantastic place. And um, it's the Grant building right near East 4th downtown. And the last couple of years, uh, I lived with my girlfriend and wife in that same apartment. And we would walk down to the East 9th Pier and watch the sunset at night. And I still miss it. Um, It was so beautiful. It was such a nice walk. It was so gorgeous. The East 9th Pier is just a fantastic place. And I think that's one of my hidden gems in Cleveland that anyone can take advantage of is completely free and just absolutely beautiful. It is a great view, but in both in
1: both directions from down there. Yeah.
0: Oh, right. I mean, yeah. You got to walk <laughs> right all the way down, look out at the lake, and then look behind you, and it's a fantastic view of all the buildings uh, downtown.
1: Yeah, no, it, it really is. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jacob, I I really appreciate you coming on and and telling your story and
0: the whole TPA journey. I'm excited for for what you guys are building. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure to to be on your podcast. I'm super excited to see more and more innovators, entrepreneurs uh, that you interview over the years here and just build a fantastic repository of just awesome content from folks across the region that are just doing incredible things in this awesome city that more and more people need to move to and learn about. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the goal. If folks have anything that they want to follow up with you
1: about Cleveland, TPA Stream, or otherwise, what is the, uh, the best place for them
0: to read you? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> the hardest uh, question of the podcast. All <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, you know, LinkedIn's a great place to find me. Send me a note. Connect with me. I do have a rule, though. I will not connect with you if I've never had a call with you or met you. So um, if you do connect with me, I will send you a message. We'd love to get to know you and then we'll connect with you. You can also uh, check out our website, tbastream.com. We have a phone number on there, an email. Uh, feel free to, to reach out there uh, to find me.
1: That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, so if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at Sternfa, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC.